history nerds, we are back today with Mr. Krim, and today I'm going to teach him about Jane Addams, more specifically, Jane Addams and her work with Black progressive activists like Ida B. Wells. And I will just say, this is one of my favorite episodes so far. I'm going to go so far to say that Jane Addams is now in the running next to Eleanor Roosevelt as like maybe my favorite American woman in history, and that's saying a lot. Um, I also really love this episode because I just can't avoid the fact that I love knowing things that other people don't know. Like I've built my entire life and career on loving knowing information and telling it to other people. And so when I can bring a really smart, very learned, scholarly person like Ernest Krim on and then tell him something he doesn't know about his own city, Chicago, Jane Addams, Hull House, Ida B. Wells, there's a lot of satisfaction there. So enjoy the episode. Before we get to it, a reminder, patreon.com slash antisocial studies. That's the main way that I keep this podcast running. If you can't support in that way, then just like, share, tag me, let people know about this podcast. If you just heard that in the background, that was my dog Betty sneezing. I'm literally just doing this in my bedroom. So help me out. All right. Enjoy the episode. So welcome to Antisocial Studies. I'm Emily Glinkler. I'm really excited to have Mr. Krim back, uh, where now I, I get to teach you about something. But first, I guess before we dive into Jane Addams, do you want to reintroduce yourself for anyone who hasn't listened to the previous episode all about Sam Harris? Yeah, first off, thanks for having me back again. I really enjoyed myself the first time. So it's a pleasure to be, you know, on your platform to be able to talk our favorite thing, history. Um, I call myself your favorite black history teacher because I'm probably the only black history teacher a lot of people have had. And I, and I, I devote my life to um, educating now outside of the class. I taught for 12 years. I post black history content. I'm a speaker, author, and I, I really focus on re restoring the image that people have of, of black American history, but also to helping us strategize on how to use history to create a more equitable future. Wow, that was a really good elevator speech. That was like a really good introduction, I will just say. A lot say. of practice. Hey, no, that was great. Me, a lot of practice. <laughs> People ask me, they'll be like, what do you do? And I'm like, um, it's TikTok. I do stuff on TikTok. I can't do it. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I've been following you on social media for a, very, a long time. So if you're on TikTok, Instagram, we discovered LinkedIn too. Yeah. Um, just go search for Mr. Krim3. You'll find him. Um, and I, I love accounts like yours that, I mean, it's very rare that you post a video that I'm like, oh yeah, I knew that. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, you know, a lot of like general history accounts, there's a lot of stuff that kind of gets recycled and I go, oh sure, okay, yeah. there's one little element of that I didn't know. But I mean, a yeah. lot of times when I watch your video, it's something I've literally never heard of before, which is partly why you, it's good that you exist, right? It's partly why you're doing what you do. That's so, big coming from you too. <laughs> thanks. I can admit that there are lots of things I don't know about, but um, yeah. So on the last episode, you taught me about Sam Harris, a guy I'd never, I'd never even heard of before. He's this black entrepreneur, formerly enslaved, um, became like the wealthiest man in Williamsburg, and then was sort of forgotten to history. Even to this day, it's hard for us to kind of find information. And so um, when I asked you, I have like this running list of things I love to talk about. <laughs> and yeah. we decided on Jane Addams. And I'm really excited to talk to you about Jane Addams. And I'm going to focus in on something a little bit more specific. But before I do, I'm curious, what what do you already know about Jane Addams? What's your like textbook understanding of who she was? Yeah, so I would always teach about her when we were in like around the progressive era. Mm -hmm. And it was around that time, of course, you know, it's a lot of information, get to the kids, you kind of press for time. And, and I would just kind of do a general overview of, um, you know, when, when you teach history, you know, like the Wikipedia, like yes. paragraph version of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so the, 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 
unfortunate part is you don't get a lot of time to delve deeper into these people. You know, like God I know forbid a, a student asks a follow. If a student asks a follow question, sometimes I'll even tell them in a PowerPoint. I'll be like, "That's literally all I know about this topic. <laughs> right. Please don't ask me another question." <laughs> like that's that's it. We don't. I, I, we'll talk after class. Yeah. <laughs> but but I know like you know she won a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, I know mm -hmm. she's kind of in some spaces regarded as one of the first social workers, which yeah. I thought was very powerful because that was my first job out of college. I was a social worker. Oh, no um, my sister is, my grandmother was. Um, so like it, that's to me, I don't understand. Like for me, like how do you not have more social workers during that time? And I'm sure we just didn't call people that, that they were doing the work. Um, but also no too, she was like, you know, um, anti-war states, a lot of demonstrations. And of course being from Chicago, yeah. the whole house is, you know, um, well known. And also too, Correct me if I'm wrong, and I should know this, right? But the low, like, it's on the campus of the University of Illinois Chicago, I believe. The Hull House is? I believe it is. I oh, think I, it didn't, is. I didn't I know that. I think it is. I should know. I'm, no, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> We're just going to assume yeah. that's true. If someone wants to fact check us, I don't, I don't know where you'd even send your complaint. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, all of that is correct. And so, and I'm with you, Jane Adams, and it's if you're wanting to Google her, it's two Ds, A-D-D-A-M-S. Mm -hmm. she, she was 100% in your U.S. history textbook. Anyone who's like, yeah. I never heard about her. It's like, I am positive she was somewhere as a bold word in your textbook, but it was probably really simplified. Like you said, the progressive era, if you're a U.S. history teacher, becomes like a name dump. It's just like lists and lists of names, and you can only give them like one line of here's here's what Samuel Gompers, labor. You know what I mean? You're like yeah. um, Jane Addams, Hull House, immigrants, and that's like all you get. And Jane Addams is, I think, and this is even more than Eleanor, which is big for anyone who knows me, I think is maybe the most impressive, at least white woman in American history single-handedly like her resume is wild and so i'll what i want to do is i want to give you like the textbook overview of her bio but then i want to dive into her relationship with black progressives of the era because she had a really fascinating relationship she was very active in um she was a co-founder of the naacp for example and that is like an aside on her bio. People list out all these things. They're like, anyway, by the way, she co-founded the NAACP. And whenever I read that, I'm like, what? Mm. I want to know infinitely more about that. So yeah. here's her basic bio, though. Chicago, she's born in 1860. What a year to be born in Illinois, wow. the land of Lincoln. Um, and she, her mother died um, soon after she was born, giving birth to a sibling. Her dad was very wealthy, was a state senator from Illinois, which meant he was BFFs was Abraham Lincoln. Like mm. he had a letter from Lincoln on his desk throughout his career. Um, and they were raised kind of a liberal Christian values. This is sort of like second grade awakening. A lot of people going, trying to kind of tie their Christian teachings to reform um, and talking about like how society is changing. We're having growing industrialization, inequality, lots of immigrants coming in. So um, she, from a very early age, had this sense of social mission and this feeling like she needed to do something with her life to help her community. Um, she's also part of this generation that we call in history, the new women. Um, in like the 1880s, this first generation of women going to college who often they were the first to be allowed to go to college. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden in American society in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 1800s, you have these women who are single, <laughs> they're independent, they're college educated, and they're becoming really active in the community. And she's like the poster child for that. So she wanted to study medicine. She had some health issues in college. And so she ends up getting involved in the emerging field of sociology, 
which you brought up. You're like, why are there not more social workers in the 19th century? And the answer is because, yeah, they didn't exist really until kind of Jane Addams created them. Um, and by that, I just mean that it, as a as a full on profession, someone who's like, my job is to work for the betterment of society is a new kind of post-Civil War idea. And she's one of the first people to come up with that. So famously, she goes to London with a friend, Ellen Gates Starr, um, and she sees a settlement house on the east end of London. Mm. And she's like, we got to bring this back to the United States. She comes back to Chicago and founds, like you said, the Hull House, which what's your what's your understanding when you're from Chicago? How do you explain the Hull House to your kids and why it's important? Yeah. So uh, first off, I was correct. It's on the campus of UIC. Um, Perfect. I, I, assume, I assumed you were. but Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had to look it up. Um, but also, too, like when you mentioned it, it kind of all came back to me. It, it was a it was a home that helped immigrants like kind of establish a society literacy, um, you know, a place to stay, housing, mm-hmm. things, things like that. In, in my mind, I'm thinking of kind of like, you know, um, thinking like the why totally thinking of like you know a place where like a nonprofit might have to to house the homeless Mm -hmm. um because again we don't have a lot of social safety nets at that time so i just think of how important that had to be yeah i mean it's a community center which it seems now like such an obvious thing but those didn't always exist right and she it's the first settlement house in the entire country the one that she founds and just like you said it just started as a place for these new immigrants i say new in quotes that's a term right mostly coming from eastern and southern europe um to come in and acclimate themselves they have a place to say they can get food they can get job training they could get english language training they eventually set up a daycare for working mothers they set up a kindergarten for Mm -hmm. the kids i mean it just becomes like this sort of third space in the community right where these new immigrants can come and get support but jane adams turns it into something so much more she brings in speakers like w.e.b du bois would come and speak at whole house and talk about like his work and what he was doing and so she just used it as this center of essentially learning and knowledge that anyone could attain um she was invited to teach at the university of chicago many times in the school of social work which she helped found Mm. and she said no no that's a waste of my time like i don't need to go teach other like privileged elite students like i want to be in the community and actually doing the work which is really fascinating so that's her like first claim to claim to fame right if it's a bold word in the textbook it's like jane adams hull house and then the other one like you said is her work in the pacifist movement. Um, I'll just mention a few other things between then. I mean, she just becomes, she's like a societal reformer poster child. She's kind of involved in almost any conversation that's being had throughout the late 18, early 1900s, this progressive era. She pushes for a separate juvenile court system that treats kids differently, Mm. you know, that doesn't try them as adults. She fights for better urban sanitation and factory laws in Chicago, protective labor legislation for women, more playgrounds and kindergartens Mm. throughout Chicago. She was a founding member of the National Child Labor Committee and helped get the, um, I think it's called the Keatings-Owen, the Child Labor Act passed, which hilariously the Supreme Court Court strikes down. I'm just like, it's unconstitutional to say kids can't work, you know? So um, she's like the president of the National Conference of Charities and Corrections. She's an officer of the National Women's Suffrage Association. Like if it was a progressive movement, she was involved. Um, at the time, she got sort of a ding on her reputation during World War One in the lead up when she was an anti-war 
activists because it was kind of an unpopular thing at the time to say maybe we shouldn't get involved in this European conflict. But yeah, she became a um, leader of what was called the Women's Peace Party, the International Congress of Women, and she began speaking and writing about just like anti-war in general, right? So hmm. not just World War One, which was kind of a useless war, right? I mean, it was she was kind of pointing out what a lot of us know now, like, why are we even involved in this? This is a war that doesn't need to happen. Um, and it makes her slightly less popular at the time. But like you said, by 1931, she's awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work in the pacifist movement. And it's, she's the first American woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize ever. So yeah. that's her bio, right? That's her basic yeah. bio. And then it mentions, and by the way, she was a co-founder of the NAACP. And you're like, okay. I did not know that. I, exactly. I and, exactly. And I go, and I, I'm curious if you have anything to add about this before I launch into it. The progressive era, and especially white progressive reformers, have a have a contentious relationship a lot of times with black progressive reformers. Right? They don't mm -hmm. always work together. Um, what's what's kind of your understanding of that? I guess before yeah, I yeah, it's uh, essentially it's a, this ideal of you know race is. Um, a hindrance to the, to our movement. Like this is mm -hmm. not something that we want to necessarily focus on yeah. by you adding that to what we're doing. You, you're actually uh, prolonging our fight for justice. Yeah, totally. And there's like two versions of this, right? And we can talk about, let's say like the women's suffrage movement, right? You can t there were white women suffragettes who believed that black women should be able to vote too, but through some pragmatism said, but it's going to be hard to convince white men to allow that to happen. So let's first focus on white women, which is, problematic enough, right? But it's sort of a practical approach. And then, of course, there were just racist white suffragettes, right? There were just women mm -hmm. who thought they were horrified that even black men were allowed to vote for white women. So yeah. it's important to mention that a lot of these progressive activists have a big asterisk next to their name, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of them that we learn about where you're like, wow, what a hero. Yeah. And then you learn some things, go, oh, shoot, they were really on the wrong side, yeah. typically when it comes to race. And that's why Jane Addams is fascinating is that she wasn't. She was mm -hmm. She was on the right side. Now, she sometimes will talk about she had some controversies and some some problems, but she was actually way more involved than I even knew. And I find this fascinating because it's nowhere in any of her bios. Like I read the Wikipedia bio, the first mm -hmm. two paragraphs, yeah. no mention of the NAACP. Mm -hmm. She also co-founded the ACLU. No mention wow. of that. In the Nobel Prize um, bio they gave, no mention of her work with um, Du Bois and Ida B. Mm -hmm. Wells. So let's talk about it because... I couldn't find where anyone was, not where anyone, but I couldn't find mm -hmm. where these like big historical institutions were talking about this. So she's in Chicago working, Ida B. Wells is in Chicago working and they become friends. Mm. So um, do you want to give a quick bio of Ida B. Wells or yeah, I can too? I was going to say too, because like when I, whenever I would teach about the progressive era, they were kind of like right next to each other. So I, I, I didn't know. Like, and that, now it makes sense because like she friends. was in Chicago. Yeah, Ida B. Wells moved to Chicago same time 1890s that same time period so mm -hmm. yeah Ida B. Wells is somebody who is one of my idols she was born in Mississippi um, moved to Memphis she was pretty much taking care of her whole family at a young age 16 years old teaching um, and then her close friends got lynched I believe in 1892 in Memphis mm -hmm. for having a successful black owned grocery store and she fearlessly wrote about it and exposed it to the point where her life was at risk and she moved to Chicago and, and kept talking about it to an international audience and I would say was the leading proponent for the anti-lynching causes and is the reason why it's not as much of an issue today in our society. 
Yeah, Ida B. Wells is, she's one of my favorite women to have, especially other girls learn about um, when mm -hmm. we talk about the progressive era. And yeah, they were friends. And so Ida B. Wells, like you said, she ends up in Chicago in the 1890s, which is when Jane Addams is doing her work. And so Ida B. Wells goes and visits Hull House, is like, we need to create one of these for the black community. To be clear, Hull House wasn't segregated, but it was predominantly serving immigrants coming from Southern and Eastern Europe. So it's mostly mm -hmm. what would be considered now white immigrants. Um, and so they started working together and they started working together too. Ida B. Wells brought Jane Addams in on the anti-lynching movement. So she kept basically mm. saying like, Jane, you got to talk about this stuff too. Um, this is a, this is an, and most white progressive activists were not talking about this. They were not talking about typically like the black rights movement at all, but they definitely weren't bringing attention to lynching, right? Mm. Which is just one of the most shameful horrific aspects of this era in Jim Crow and mm -hmm. Jane Addams did. So there was in 1899, uh, there was a mob that burned a black man alive in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And Wells said, we're going to make this a national case. Like we need to let everyone know about this. It was really brutal. She organizes a meeting in Chicago to protest the violence and asks Jane Addams to come speak. And mm -hmm. so this is the first moment where Jane Addams gets up and actually speaks in opposition to lynching. And it's her first public assertion that like, I'm kind of with these black progressives as well. Um, she goes on to write an article called Respect for Law, which is the, the slightly controversial part of this. And this is the part I wanted to talk to you about, because I think it really mirrors a lot of conversations we're having today between, mm. let's say, white activists trying to help the black community and black activists trying to um, explain to white people how they can better yeah. help the black community. So she writes this article, Respect for Law. And it was a really sincere, like, lynching is horrific, lynching is brutal, this should not occur. The problem is that she takes a really practical, logical approach. And what she's essentially arguing is that lynching is no substitute for justice. And that the reason why lynching is especially bad is because these men, these black men, deserve their day in court, right? They don't deserve this mob violence. Mm. I'll give you a few quotes from this. She says, um, quote, before entering this protest, however, in regards to the increasing number of Negro lynchings occurring in the South, we must remember that many of the most atrocious public acts recorded in history have been committed by men who had convinced themselves that they were doing right. Um, and then she goes on to say, let us give the Southern citizens the full benefit of this position. And she goes on to say, even mm. if even if we give them the benefit of the doubt, it's not the most effective way to like police mm crime <laughs> wow yeah so yeah. tell me your tell me your yeah. reaction to that no i think you said it great i think she she's coming in from the perspective of all things being considered people are just and they have their right mind and mm -hmm. they want to treat people well and it, and that's and that's a lot of the obliviousness to what her experience had to be growing up as a white yeah. woman at that time and I would imagine, because Ida B. Wells is going to speak her mind, yeah. it's it's almost like, come on, Jane. Like, this uh -huh. is not what's happening. Like, this this like there is not going to be a day of justice. Like, yeah. and, and a lot, and we don't have the statistics for it, but in, in a lot of these cases, these are black people who were framed for doing something, um, mm -hmm. who, who did not do anything. Um, and then this was an extrajudicial case situation a lot of times. So, like, my mindset is Ida B. Wells was probably like, no, 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 that, that's yeah. that's not what you want to say to my to my people. And luckily she did. And luckily they were friends enough. And, and I also think Jane Addams was, I would say, kind of big enough to go, oh, shoot, dang, you're right. You're exactly yeah. right. Ida B. Wells is going to issue a rebuttal and be like, Jane, I love you. 
you're my friend. Yeah. But no. Yeah. And just to be clear for anyone listening, the reason why Jane Addams' argument is problematic is that, one, she's assuming that these black men that are being lynched have committed a crime, which right. is just a fundamental misunderstanding of what lynching was. I mean, like yeah. you mentioned, Ida Wells had a friend who was murdered, which is what it is, right? Yeah. Just for having a successful business. It was yeah. seen as a way to quote unquote, put black people back in their place. Yeah. This was not a reasonable reaction to a crime committed, right? And so, and then also in, you know, quote unquote, giving these Southern people the benefit of the doubt, she ends up kind of accidentally perpetuating a lot of these black stereotypes. I mean, she, she basically is talking about like, well, yes, we know that kind of the black populations are having, they have a crime problem at the moment. And we know that there are these issues, yeah. but this is not the way to handle it. Yeah. And so I mentioned that because one, I just want us to remember that like, there's no one in history that's pristine. So even though I have a huge amount of respect for Jane Addams, this article is like, it's not great when you read it. You're like, oh, Jane, come on. Why'd you put that down on paper? Yeah, but I also think it's really relevant, like you said, of just how important your own perspective influences how you view things, right? Because I think I would have been the same way. My own upbringing, I just had these assumptions. We can, we can relate it to the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, I grew up having no reason to think that police would ever, like, intentionally mistreat someone who you know whatever like i just would yeah. have no experience that would tell me that and it's not until i see what i see and i start paying attention and i hear other people's stories and that's the exact same thing happening here is that jane is sort of very kindly being like well i'm assuming it's because they knew that man had committed a crime and they wanted to make sure justice was done and like you said Ida wells is like honey no yeah. that's not at all what's happening so wells issues a rebuttal and she's very kind to Jane Addams. She's like, I want to be really clear. I still really like her. She's doing important work. But she says her argument was, quote, dispassionate and logical and just outright objects to this assumption that black men are in some way more criminal, right? More, more susceptible to crime than anyone else. Um, and she says very clearly, lynching is not a substitute for due process. It's just the murder of black men. That's what it is. This is not like instead yeah, of a day right. in court. Um, and she goes on to say things that I think I heard even in this discussion over the last few years around the Black Lives Matter movement. She says, even if she's like, even yeah. just discussing whether or right. not a black man did maybe commit a crime is irrelevant in the case of exactly. lynching, like because yeah. there's no justice being done. And so to me, I put in my notes, I was like, it reminds me of there was this big conversation around George Floyd and like, well, he'd issued a counterfeit $20 right. bill. And people yeah. are bringing that up and you just go, it's irrelevant. It's it's yeah. it's irrelevant because what was done to him should never have happened regardless of what happened before You said that, that Will. It, it starts from this default, you know, understanding in our society that a black person is going to do a crime. Mm -hmm. But the perspective she had is like, they're going to do the crime, but we, we have to change how we approach it. And, exactly. and, and what I'm hearing a lot is I'm, I'm, I'm hearing I'm, or I'm seeing tweets of a well-meaning, you know, like mm -hmm. a white liberal, well-meaning person and then them being corrected. And um, like to understand, oh, the, you know, the, the wrong thing to say is there's just a few bad apples. We got to get rid of it as opposed to we see the entire system and how it harms us. Um, but I think and I think we also have to be very clear, too, on how we understand historical figures and judge them, because I think you make a great point, too, with I'm off. I'm, I'm big on intent as opposed to um, the action or the statement a lot of times, you know, because I understand mm -hmm. people will judge some of what we talk about, what people have done today and, and label them a horrible person. But like understanding that people are born into a situation, once you're corrected, then what do you do? You exactly. know, and I think what you explained to me, she seemed to do a great job of taking in the information. 
Yeah, and I think it's such it's such like a helpful reminder. And this is why I would love to I'm excited to teach this story, this relationship to my students, because I think we can learn so much about it that like it's okay, you know, for me as you know, I'm a white person who sometimes will make a TikTok about black history, about indigenous history. And there are times when someone else comes along and stitches my video and is like, Nope, that's not the right interpretation of that. And again, it's like, how do I respond to that? And I think that there are a lot of, especially white people right now in this moment that are afraid then to say anything. They're like, well, I don't even want to speak up because I don't want to be wrong. And I think you're exactly right. Like if you speak up with good intent and good faith, and then you're willing to listen like Jane Adams is doing, right? I mean, even like the most intelligent, esteemed progressive reformers in American history face this problem as well. And so, yeah, she turns around and says, okay, you know what, you're right. And she starts to dedicate more and more of her time to pushing for these black progressive movements. So um, she helps Ida B. Wells found a black settlement house in Chicago. She and Ida B. Wells work together to prevent Chicago public schools from being segregated by race. Um, she invites delegates from the National Association of the Colored Women's Club to lunch at Hull House, which is this huge scandal. There's all these newspaper articles. Mm. One of them says, quote, the color line was given another good rub yesterday by Miss Jane Adams of Hull House. People are like, can you believe? <laughs> I think she eventually got kicked out of the Daughters of the American Revolution, which to me is always a sign you're doing something right. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. I just Great think job. Job. it's always something where I'm like, great. That means you did something. Eleanor Roosevelt also got kicked out of the DAR for inviting a black opera singer to perform and I'm, I'm always like great if I if I could join the DAR just to get kicked out at some point <laughs> that would be amazing um, and the other relationship she had was with W.E.B. Du Bois so this is really fascinating because I think we think of these historical figures as separate right yeah, like they're all yeah. doing their own thing it's like no no they talked they knew each other yeah. so Du Bois I mean he's the first black man to get a PhD from Harvard and he gets it in sociology right so they're very much in the same space and I read an article that did a really good job of explaining this. They said, whereas Jane Addams is sort of an activist and then a scholar, Du Bois is a scholar who then applies that to his activism. And so Du Bois graduates from Harvard with a PhD and then can't find a job, right? Um, and can't find, there's all these other people who are getting jobs, teaching new kind of sociology, social work that were not as good of students as he was. Jane Addams is getting offered, you know, teaching positions and Du Bois isn't. And so Du Bois has to figure out other ways to get the word out. And of course, we can do a whole other episode on him, but he actually finds an ally in Jane Addams and that she invites him to speak at Hull House. She kind of starts to use her platform to allow him a place to come in and kind of share his ideas to a more like white audience, right? So they mm -hmm. become friends, they write letters back and forth. Um, he invites her down to the school, I think the Atlanta University. Yeah, oh, it came is that what it University. is? Yeah, it was Atlanta University. Then. Yeah, um, he invites her down to speak and, and participate on a panel about, it was, it was a conference on quote, the Negro American life at Atlanta University. Um, and she wrote an editorial for his magazine, The Crisis, which was like the NAACP, mm -hmm. um, Mag, like kind of the literary wing of it, right? So, I mean, they're inc they're very much involved. And I will say one other element of this, and I, I think something else that has shades of today, is that they did kind of disagree, Du Bois and Jane Addams, over Teddy Roosevelt, hmm. right? So Teddy Roosevelt, Jane Addams was um, kind of a founding member of Teddy Roosevelt's progressive party, the Bull Moose Party. Um, so if you remember, Teddy was a Republican, um, he then, you know, he walked away and let his guy Taft become president. <laughs> and then in 1912, he's like, actually, I want to be president again. <laughs> and so he runs on this third party. The progressive party splits the vote and we end up with Wilson. 
One fun fact is that Jane Addams was the one who formally nominated Teddy Roosevelt at the convention, mm. making her wow. the first woman to ever do that. Wow. And there are some hilarious quotes. I, can't, I was able to find them off the top of my head, but I remember reading them about how scandalized people were of like a woman mm. nominating. Um, but one of the reasons is that a, a lot of black progressives were not big fans of Teddy Roosevelt or... That's actually not true. They were disappointed by Teddy Roosevelt. Are you, I mean, how familiar are you with his career and his kind of relationship again, to the black community? Very, very general in terms of like the progressive era, but then also mm -hmm. to like his role um, with imperialism is, is yeah. of course the, the one where I get kind of like, because you're doing some <laughs> some of this stuff, right? And uh -huh. you know, like the, the food, drug, all that type of stuff. But then you are spearheading, uh, you know, not to say he was the only one, but you're spearheading the imperialist issues that we still have right now. He was like a very proud colonizer. I mean, he joked about it and was like, <laughs> I, I think I'm a really good imperialist. I mean, he literally. And so, yeah, so Teddy Roosevelt is another really great case study in nuance because honestly, for the time, he's the most progressive president we've had. And I mean, even for the time, I would say one of the most ever. If you think about mm. what was going on at the time and what he advocated, like he's advocating for universal health care in, mm. in the early 1900s. He's, he actively invites Booker T. Washington to dinner at the White House, yeah. making him the first black like official guest of the White House ever. He's doing so many incredible kind of progressive things. And yet he's a devout imperialist, right? And that's coming from this idea that he can bring, quote unquote, civilization to the uncivilized mm -hmm. parts of the world, which is just inherently racist and white mm -hmm. supremacist. Um, and there's that. But then there was also this incident because he was actually really popular with the black community. And I mean, to be fair, they don't have a lot of options if you're looking at presidents. Right. Mm, I mean, right. but he was really popular, all things considered, with the black community until there was an event called the Brownsville Affair. I don't know if you've heard of this before in Texas. Um. Y'all educate me, please. It, it, yeah, no, vaguely. It sounds yeah, familiar, but it was. And I and I'm not an expert on this either. This is a little aside. But essentially, there was like a a, a regiment. I know, I don't know military technology. There was a group of soldiers. I don't know what the official name was in Brownsville of black soldiers who got accused of all of them killing one white man, and there was all of a sudden this kind of like this rage against this group of soldiers. They eventually all got like kicked out of the military and it went court-martialed and dishonorably discharged. And it went up to Teddy Roosevelt. There's no evidence, right? That these black soldiers did anything wrong. And Teddy Roosevelt said, I'm going to stick with what the military decided. And he didn't kind of stand up for this group. Um, and that was seen as a huge, for obvious reasons, betrayal. He had been the most outspoken activist kind of for the black community since Lincoln, maybe. Mm. Um, and so this was just seen as a huge betrayal. And so there were a lot of people in this moment who were like, well, this is a moment when we need to like hold Teddy Roosevelt accountable, not nominate him to be president again. Yeah. And so it's just an, another thing that I like to mention is this nuance that, you know, she was really close with Du Bois, at least, yeah. I don't know that they were like friends, but they were um, intellectually very close. And yet her standing up and saying, I nominate Teddy Roosevelt for a lot of black progressives was a step too far and i think it's mm. i think it's an interesting point too about how white women especially were able to sometimes put aside they're mm. able to put aside issues a lot more easily than black women or, or just black activists in general that it was easier for jane adams to go well yes he is a raging imperialist and yes mm. he made this huge mistake here but ultimately i think for the greater good he'd be the best president which maybe yeah. was true but it's easier for her to say than it is an Ida B. Wells, for example. Right, right. Very interesting. Anyway. 
Yeah. But but, but I, I like that that contrast too to like he did a lot of, and I think that speaks to our presidents now because we'll have presidents who have these ideas like, yeah I want to do this for college universal basic income healthcare mm -hmm. but I'm going to also extend that military budget by a few trillion yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's chaos it's always chaos it's like the idea that any president I mean even Lincoln I'm going to talk with another guest about Lincoln later it's like even Lincoln it's like oh we oversimplify him like yeah. by a ton oh, right so so, especially so I if think, you are indigenous, like, come on, man. Oh, that's even, an element of it. Even, even beyond slavery, like, I, this, yeah, I'm sure well, you're going to get into that, but yeah. Well, that's a Google search I'm going to do later on. <laughs> yeah. No, so I think, um, again, I, the reason why I wanted to bring up those two incidents is just that that's what I think makes Jane Adams interesting and even more impressive is that she, yeah. like, she made mistakes. I'm going to be honest, right? I mean, I don't think those are in the grand scheme of things. I wouldn't call those huge mistakes. I mean, she still seems to be on the right side of history. She was still kind of fighting for what we would now all I think agree was right but mm. she also sometimes her perspective you know gave, made her gave her some blind spots yeah. there were things she yeah. just didn't quite understand she's talking about lynching with the assumption that these men have done something wrong or yeah. she's nominating Teddy Roosevelt not understanding the symbolism of this thing where it's like it's just come out this Brownsville incident and it's mm. like now is not the time to kind of back mm. him even though he probably would have been the best candidate for black Americans between him and Taft and Woodrow Wilson for sure, right? Definitely. Um, so anyway, she then under Wilson's presidency protests the racial segregation in the federal government, which Wilson resegregated the White House. This is something we don't talk about. Like it had been essentially integrated and Wilson said, no, no, let's go back to segregating it. So um, she was involved in protesting that decision. And then she spends most of her life on the peace movement from that point mm -hmm. on, right? So she's involved in the suffrage movement and the peace movement. Um, and towards the end of her life, she starts to reflect and she writes a book called The Second 20 Years at Hull House. And in it, she asserts, this is pretty close to her death, she asserts that the, like, the, the biggest problem facing the United States is racism. She says racism mm -hmm. against African-Americans is threatening democracy itself and, quote, was the gravest situation in our American life. So mm -hmm. she is coming around at some point. Now, of course, you know, she had different focuses. She's focusing on social work and the community in Chicago and then suffrage and the anti-war movement. But by the end of her life, Life, she's looking around in the 1930s going, yeah, I think this is still the biggest unresolved problem we have that we should all mm. focus our attention on. So that's if you Jane. said that today, like if you uh -huh. just put that quote and apply it to today, it's still relevant. You know, like I, I yeah. think it's powerful, like, you know, without, of course, you know, the, the, the terminology and how we refer to people might be slightly different, Negro, mm -hmm. African-American, but that statement it's, it's still true. And when I, when I think about my teachers in terms of like, you know, trying to expose people to more white allies, I, I got to add her to my list. I didn't know that because even again, when I'm teaching, like mm -hmm. you said, we look at these people as like individuals who are, even if they're fighting against racism or sexism, it's like separate categories because we go yes. from such a individualistic standpoint in everything in this country. I just would have yeah. never imagined that they were like collaborating and doing these things. And she also had this consciousness of racism. The, yeah, you can see through her career that she's learning as she goes too, which is why I really love and respect her is that you can tell, I mean, from her upbringing, right? I mean, her dad was literally friends with Lincoln. So like talk right. about privilege, right? But she's, she's willing to kind of, I don't know, challenge her own assumptions, her own notions, because she does. I mean, the field of sociology was really groundbreaking at the time, because they were starting to assert that, hey, maybe black people are struggling not because they're racially, biologically inferior, 
but because of some other societal issue, right? And that at the time was this like groundbreaking, you know, incredibly progressive idea. Of course, now we'd go, well, they're not inferior at all, right? But, yeah. but it's like, so she's, that's the world she's in where she's on the cutting edge. And now it would be a horrific thing to say, right? But yeah. she's constantly learning and kind of challenging these assumptions that she has specifically as she's working with black reformers, which like you said, a lot of progressive activists did not do. And there are different reasons. Sometimes it was outright racism, but more often it was the sense of pragmatism that like, it's going to hurt the movement. If I, if this is too mm -hmm. radical talking about black rights is going to be too radical and it's going to, it's going to not get my food and drug administration thing passed or whatever. Right. right? So they're not going to talk about the racial element, but Jane Adams, sometimes she had to be dragged into it, but she was willing to hmm. one That's last, one last fascinating fact for me is that she was as much as someone could be in this time period, an out lesbian. Hmm. Like <laughs> so another just, thing you just did not know. Here is just <laughs> one other element of this. And I, here's what I'm going to say. The Hull House Museum, their website specifically says, we do not refer to as a lesbian only because we don't know what, what title, what label she would have used, but mm. they refer to her as queer. They say, mm -hmm. basically, mm -hmm. this is just like, we know she's somewhere in this umbrella. And so yeah. this is not like a scandalous, secretive thing to say. This is like the Hull House Museum is like, yes, she was queer. She had a relationship. Let me just tell you, they were, they were besties, Ernest. They were close <laughs> female friends, her and Mary Rosette Smith. And by that, I mean, they owned a home together, wow. never married, never had children and lived together for 35 years. Wow. <laughs> as close as you can get. Gal pals. They were just like, they're just BFFs, right? And I mean, in, in Chicago, right? In Chicago, right? So wow. her, yeah, so her name is Mary Rosette Smith. She met through the co-founder of the Hull House, Ellen Gates Starr. Um, and they took up, I mean, this relationship. Mary Rosette Smith was a volunteer kindergarten teacher. They met through the Hull House. And again, they literally bought a home together. They lived mm. together for 35 years until Mary died. And then Jane Addams literally died like a year later. So this mm. is a quote from a reformer and a friend of both of theirs, Alice Hamilton, who knows that Mary's sick. This is in 1930 the early 1930s when Mary is sick and she's writing to her sister saying, I can't look at my grief over Mary because I should lose my grip. When I came out here, I told Mary that she must get well, that she could live on without J.A., Jane Adams, mm. but J.A. could not live without her. Mm. Like they're recognizing, they're like, oh no, if Mary dies, like Jane's yeah. gonna die too. That's how close they were. Um, and Jane Adams passed away one year after wow. Mary did broken in 1935 heart. of a broken it, it, heart. It just makes you wonder too, like with so many of our historical figures, because that wasn't at the forefront of a lot of the conversation back then. You just wonder, you know, mm -hmm. like how many of our historical figures also too were in the LGBTQIA community. Yeah. Um, wow. And then you also wonder too, like if that conversation happened at the forefront, would her activism have shifted a little bit, you know, towards that? Exactly. And I think I think that's really interesting, too, because I can't find any evidence of it being an issue, you know, mm. but I think it's just because it was so overlooked that genuinely at the time, most people would go, oh, wow, she has a roommate for 35 years. <laughs> like, I just think it's like they were most people yeah, were yeah. so ignorant to this idea yeah. that it wouldn't even cross their minds that they were in a romantic relationship, which, you know, is terrible, but also kind of a blessing because she's yeah. able to just fly under the radar. But I think there's probably a reason why she didn't become super active in, mm -hmm. well, one, there's not really a coordinated, you know, LGBTQ 
wing of the progressive movement at this time. That's just not really something that most people are talking about. But even if there was, that would have probably been the most quote unquote dangerous thing for her to bring into her activism because yeah. that would have been seen as even more radical than talking about you yeah. know, black civil rights. So yeah, anyway. that's a great, I mean, they probably imagine too, like she had the whole house, a lot of people living in there. Mm -hmm. Maybe this was somebody she wanted to give extra attention to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> people are so stupid. They're so help. willing. They're so willing to overlook it. They're like, how sweet these two spinsters that just <laughs> lived together for 35 years. And I will say, like, I just made a TikTok about it, but like she wrote love poetry to Mary. Like you can read wow. it. She wrote letters and she signed it like my dearest, my heart belongs to you. I mean, it's like there's wow. no... We're not like, and they were roommates. Like, it's very yeah. clear that they were in love. And so I just bring this up because I do think, this is why I said at the beginning, I think Jane Addams, as far as we're going to talk about, like, a white activist, I just think her resume is pretty unimpeachable. Like, she, she yeah. really did, to some extent, she had some issues, but she really did seem to be involved and active in almost every possible branch of this, like, progressive movement. And some she handled better than others. But I just think like if I were going to teach the progressive era and only had time to talk about one human being, mm. I think it would be her because she yeah. really has her hand in almost every, every aspect. Without a shadow of a doubt, her existence <laughs> made life better for people. Yes. You know, and I think that's a good way too to even assess when we think about people, you know, whether they say something we don't agree with or not, but like her existence, if she's missing from the American story, a lot of different communities are suffering. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. Like she, it's a good thing she existed and we're all better off because she yeah. existed yeah. in varying degrees, right? But yep. so anyway, yep. shout out to Powerful. Jane Adams. Yeah. So, um, so speaking I mean, it, of her, you know how we yeah. talked about last week, we talked about Sam Harris's and his descendants. Like, where's, like <gasps> we got some brothers, cousins, nephews. Like, um, oh, <laughs> shoot. That's a great question because she had no children, right? Because mm -hmm. she was just an old spinster. But, um, but yeah, she had, man, she had brothers and sisters. I know she, she was one of nine, but only five mm -hmm. survived infancy. Right. But I mean, she has dozens and dozens of grand nieces and grand nephews mm. um, that are still around. And so, yeah, I'd be curious to see, yeah. like, if any of her descendants, obviously not direct, she had no children, um, have kind of taken up her cause or how much they interact with her legacy. Definitely. Hmm. Well, anyway, I'm glad I could teach you about her. And now you can oh, no, incorporate her, too. I think she's yeah. like a badass lady. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me, like, rant about her. I was so fascinated by her. So many rabbit holes. Um, and, yeah, if anyone else wants to check out your work, just a reminder, really any social media, Mr. Krim 3 um, you have two books out, Black History Saved My Life and the ABCs of Affirming Black Children which is ABC yes. we established yes, on the ABC last twice. episode. Yep. <laughs> um, is there anything else, anywhere else where people can go if they want to they wanna work with you or get more information? Yeah, again, ErnestCrim.com. I have all my information for consultation, speaking inquiries, and my book information. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Krim. That's MRKrim3, TikTok, Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn, like we said last <laughs> week, so that's a great place to see me as well. Uh, Twitter, too. I'm usually on Twitter just kind of eavesdropping on conversations. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a fun place to kind of just see what everybody's mad about. <laughs> me, too. I don't, I don't want to, like, say anything on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like to watch what's going on on Twitter. Is, is that, I, I feel like for me, and maybe you figured this out, too, like, I think my I'm best at expressing this with a video. Me too. What I say um, might get taken out of context or like it might just be a lot of me speaking into 
the abyss so nobody's paying attention. Yeah, Twitter Twitter <laughs> scares me. Twitter Twitter doesn't seem like they're my people. TikTok TikTok yeah. people are my people. So Yep, yep. Oh man. Well thanks so much for joining Thank me. You. This was amazing. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for having me. Wasn't Jane Adams a total badass? And by the way, biopic of her life, this is becoming a theme. I think I'm just gonna start casting all the people that we talk about. I don't know who could do it because you'd have to span her entire life and it'd have to start off young. I think you could do it with Julianne Moore. And then as she gets older, put on some prosthetics uh, on her face and stuff. Go look at the pictures and tell me if I'm wrong or tell me on Instagram and stuff if you think there'd be a different actress that should play her. But the point is we need a blockbuster Marvel level movie about Jane Adams. That's all I'm saying. Thanks. <laughs>